welcome to Tea and Strumpets, a Regency Romance Review. I'm Zoe. And I'm Kelsey. And today we have a correction to make from an email from a listener. We had a listener who just uh, reached out to us about our last episode, which was our episode on It Happened One Midnight. And they just mentioned, you know, we were talking about child labor in the in our history fact. And uh, they mentioned that, you know, this would have been primarily white children, and we didn't highlight that. So again, um, just as a reminder, we are not historians. And so we do appreciate it if we get something wrong, or we handle something in a way that makes you a little bit uncomfortable or anything. We love to hear from you because, you know, we always want to try to be a little bit better in the future. So yeah, If uh, you hear something that you think isn't quite right, always reach out to us. Yes. So thank you so much for reaching out to us. And all corrections are happily accepted. As Zoe mentioned, we're not perfect people and we welcome all comments and critiques. Thank you very much. But today we have a big exciting thing because we're talking about the seventh Bridgerton book. We're getting there. Oh, my gosh. Seven. Seven whole (laughs) books that we've read in this series, Zoe. And that book is It's In His Kiss by none other than Julia Quinn. And we do have a few author facts this week, just a couple little tidbits that I found uh, about about her, and I just wanted to share them with you all. So the first one is that as of July 15th on her Instagram – Julia Quinn has confirmed that there still isn't a release date for Netflix's Bridgerton. Ugh. So Ugh. I know, I know. Ugh. It's Ugh. it's devastating. We could all use a little Bridgerton right now. I if I had to put money on it, I think Netflix is gonna hold it till 2021 or something. I think they're gonna delay it. Why? Everybody is at home watching Netflix. I just have this feeling that they wanted to like launch it really big at Comic-Con or like do like a circuit of advertising. I don't know because it's the first Shondaland production. I don't know. And I don't really see it as being a winter show. Like I felt like it was definitely a spring summer show. Mm -hmm. And the fact that it hasn't come yet doesn't seem, I don't know. Hopefully I'm wrong. Yeah. Hopefully (laughs) they just don't know. All right. But we're going to continue with our author facts. So Julia Quinn is one of only 16 authors to be inducted into the Romance Writers of America Hall of Fame. As she should be. So she is, yeah, in the Hall of Fame. And the RWA, uh, as many of you guys know, had a lot of scandals last year. Um, But they are doing their best to pick themselves back up and changing a lot of things about the organization. So hopefully we will see some good stuff coming out of the RWA again. In fact, they've changed their award from, oh gosh, I can't remember what the name of the RWA was, the award that they would give out. Um, uh, But regardless... Regardless, now it's called the Vivian, and that's after Vivian, uh, whose last name I cannot remember for the life of me. I might be Fox, but I, I think that is is apocryphal. But um, it's it's named after Vivian, who established the RWA, and she uh, was a black lady. So wonderful, uh, a little bit more appropriate Agreed. than their their last than their last award. Yes, and so some other fun things about Julia Quinn, if you didn't already know, in the United States alone, there are over 10 million, correct, that's correct, guys, million copies of her books in print. 
Holy heck. Yes. That's amazing. And that's not counting her books that have also been translated into 32 languages. So many languages. And she has like die hard fans in Brazil. Oh, I've so seen like that. I can't I've seen I can't that. imagine how many books there are in Portuguese. I mean, yeah. like, oh my gosh. It's crazy. So our main tropes today are a little bit, again, wishy-washy, kind of like our last story. I mean, I, I asked Kelsey before the recording, I was like, it's like two people fall in love? <laughs> I don't Is know. that a trope? <laughs> it's not. Um, so the ones that we've uh, whipped up for this segment are uh, family secrets. Uh, so that's our first trope. And the second one is one that I've made up called the illegitimate son who stands to inherit. Uh, you know how that causes issues. Oh, yes. <laughs> and today... Our main characters are Gareth St. Clair and Hyacinth Bridgerton. So shall we get into our synopsis today? Let's. So Hyacinth Bridgerton has been out for four seasons now, and it's all starting to feel the same for her. She has had a few proposals, all unacceptable. But there are no gentlemen who strike her fancy that are available. She figures, though, that she's still got time. After all, her sister Eloise didn't marry until she was eight and twenty. So Hyacinth is still good in comparison. Her favorite day of the week is her Tuesdays with Lady Danbury. During their weekly visits, they read passages out of the terrible yet entertaining Mrs. Butterworth and the Mad Baron, which include a lot of running to the cliffs, scaling the cliffs, and other breathy and dangerous experiences. Sorry, I'm going to break the synopsis for a second with a quick tangent, which is, if anyone doesn't know, Julia Quinn is having a graphic novel of um, Miss Butterworth and the Mad Baron being put out. Yes, it was supposed to come out in December of this year, but I think now it's coming out in 2021. But uh, hey, things to look forward yes, to. Yes, but I was just very excited because she had little like cute magnets of her pigeons. And it is illustrated by her sister. Even more excellent. Okay, guys, back to the story. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> um, Hyacinth also spends a decent amount of time in Lady D's company at 10 events for two reasons. One, because she likes her. And two, it keeps others who she doesn't want to interact with away. At this year's Smythe Smith musical, Lady D guilts her favorite grandson, Gareth, to attend. Hyacinth and Gareth have met a few times before and have always had good conversation. However, he is a rake of the First Order and entirely unsuitable. But also, you know, incredibly handsome. Plus, he's rarely seen a ton of events anyway. Lady Danbury, though, thinks that her grandson would be perfect for Hyacinth and lets her know that. Hyacinth brushes it off in her typical Hyacinth way, but this first meeting of our main characters leaves her a little breathy herself and wondering if perhaps he might be suitable. We learn that Gareth has had major issues with his father in the past. His father has always hated him and treated him extremely poorly, and for many years, Gareth had no idea why. When his father summoned him home in his 18th year, he finally found out. Furious at Gareth's refusal to marry their neighbor, who was mentally disabled in order to secure more funds for the family, his father finally spit out that Gareth was a bastard and he didn't know who his real father was, as his mother refused to tell him. Gareth was quite stunned at this reveal, for he had never even questioned his parentage, as he looked so much like the man who he thought to be his father. To which his not-father replied that it was cruel coincidence. But since Gareth refused to marry, his father 
cut him off. And Gareth turned to his mother's mother, Lady Danbury, who immediately funded his college years and helped him gain the trust left to him by his mother as well. So now Gareth is a perfectly respectable, modest gentleman with a well-deserved rakish reputation with the ladies, but not at the gaming tables. In another cruel twist of faith, in another cruel twist of fate, Gareth's older brother had died recently, making Gareth heir to the barony. His father hadn't disowned him yet, but Gareth imagined that it was only a matter of time, as his father was obsessed with bloodlines and legacy. So he just sat quietly, avoided his father at all costs, and waited. Our hero and heroine meet again next when Gareth receives a bequest from his brother, which turned out to be their parental grandmother's diary. Written in Italian, he knows he'll need a translator, but one that could be trusted to be sensitive with the information in case there were personal details therein. He rushes over to Lady Danbury's house to ask her her recommendation. And conveniently forgets that it's Tuesday, which means that Hyacinth is there for her weekly visit. However, Lady D insists whatever he has to say can be said in front of her, but it turns out to be fortuitous, for Hyacinth can read Italian. Not particularly well, but well enough. And so Hyacinth leaves that day with the diary to translate. This gives our main characters a lot to interact about, and Gareth finds himself intrigued with Hyacinth. Although normally she's extremely outspoken, Gareth can often make her tongue-tied, and he loves vexing her this way. Hyacinth, for her part, can't decide what to make of Gareth. Her friends and mother notice the sparks between Hyacinth and Gareth and ask if she's set her cap for him. Hyacinth responds honestly that she doesn't know, and her brother Gregory knows that that means something, for she's never not known before. But her family encourages her to explore a match with Gareth, for none of her other suitors have been, well, suitable up to this point. Quote, of course none of those men was suitable. Half were after your fortune, and as for the other half, you would have reduced them to tears within a month. Such tenderness for your youngest child, Hyacinth muttered. It quite undoes me. Violet let out a ladylike snort. Oh, please, Hyacinth, you know exactly what I mean, and you know I am correct. None of those men was your match. You need someone who is your equal. That is exactly what I have been trying to tell you. But my question to you is, why are the wrong men asking for your hand? Hyacinth opened her mouth, but she had no answer. You say you wish to find a man who is your match, Violet said, and I think you do. But the truth is, Hyacinth, every time you meet someone who can hold his own with you, you push him away. What I think happens, Violet continued, is when something gives you unease, well, you don't seem to know how to manage it, and you run— or you decide it isn't worth it, and that is why I'm afraid you will never find the right man. Or rather, you'll find him, but you won't know it. You won't let yourself know it. Hyacinth does think about it, and she does realize that her mother was right. Quote, There had been a few people with whom she had not felt completely comfortable. Not many, but a few. There had been a gentleman during her first season with whom she'd been positively tongue-tied. He'd been intelligent and handsome, and when he'd looked at her, Hyacinth had thought her legs might give out. And then, just a year ago, her brother Gregory had introduced, had introduced her to one of his school friends, who, Hyacinth had to admit, had been dry and sarcastic and more than her match. She told herself that she hadn't liked him, and then she told her mother that she thought he seemed the sort to be unkind to animals. But the truth was... Well, she didn't know what the truth was. 
So Hyacinth decides to give it her best with Mr. St. Clair because he makes her uncomfortable, and perhaps that's what she needs. The two meet at various ton events and do their best to talk about the diary there as Hyacinth translates it. Gareth also begins to find Hyacinth pretty wonderful as well and starts to wonder if perhaps his grandmother is right and Hyacinth would be a good match for him. The ton starts to take notice of the pair, too, as they've been seen spending a decent amount of time in each other's company. In fact, they even run into Gareth's father during a walk in the park. This meeting goes predictably poorly, with both father and son spitting venom at each other, and Gareth is seething and ashamed of the interaction. Hyacinth allows them to walk home in silence, but insists that Gareth come inside as she has something to say. She tells him that she's always felt sorry for herself and others like her without fathers, but now that she's seen how absolutely horrible it is for him, she knows that there's a chance for some that not having a father would be a blessing. Their relationship progresses soon after, when at a ball, Gareth is overcome with the desire to kiss Hyacinth after she comes to find him when she's seen his father nearby. Unfortunately, Gareth's head is swimming and unfocused, consumed not only with his attraction to Hyacinth, but also with his father's recent recent words of, she won't have you. However, they still have the diary to translate. And soon, Hyacinth uncovers something truly exciting. His grandmother had hidden some very expensive jewelry inside their London home. And Hyacinth is sure it must be there and insists that Gareth's father should not be allowed to find it. And being her normal Hyacinth self, convinces Gareth that they should go looking for the jewels together at night. When they eventually do go, sneaking into Claire House like a couple of cat burglars, they do find an additional clue from the first one, which makes the jewels seem all the more real. And since no one had uncovered the first clue before, the likelihood of them still being hidden was high. However, the two must leave for the night and hope to return in the future. Meanwhile, their relationship continues to grow, and Gareth starts to think that Hyacinth would make an increasingly good wife and companion. And eventually, he gets permission from Anthony, who gleefully pours him a drink to celebrate and tells him, absolutely, yes, you have my permission, but good luck convincing Hyacinth, and then wastes no time running over to Lady Danbury's house, as it's Tuesday, to propose to Hyacinth right after. Hyacinth does accept, for she and Gareth have become not only good friends, but clandestine kiss buddies, and she knows he's her match. In fact, she knew she was going to marry him. She said it to herself mm-hmm. <laughs> a little bit earlier. She sure did. <laughs> she sure did. But as their wedding approaches, Gareth's father's words still start to get to him. He worries that his father is planning something, perhaps to out or disown Gareth before the wedding and humiliate Hyacinth. So he decides to do two things. One, he tells Hyacinth that he is a bastard and doesn't know who his father is. In fact, he's hoping his grandmother does, and it's in her journal. Hyacinth has the greatest response ever, telling him that she's grateful that her children won't be related to such a horrid man. And two, he decides that he needs to sleep with Hyacinth before the wedding so she doesn't back out. And so, on the evening of their next heist, instead of waiting downstairs by the servant's entrance for her, Gareth waits for Hyacinth in her room, and with kisses and flirtation, he somehow gets her to momentarily forget about their mission. And they have encounter number one. However, afterwards, Hyacinth is raring to go, so they do head out to Claire House to find the next clue. Though they don't find the jewels, they do find the next clue, and so they leave again. 
Unfortunately, though, they see his father returning on the street. And while Hyacinth hides in an alley, his father says some nasty things to Gareth that Hyacinth overhears, including that his father goaded Gareth into marrying her. After all, he knew it would be easy to do, as Gareth does the exact opposite of anything he says. So Hyacinth runs off for home on her own, pretty furious. But Gareth's plan has worked. She will not leave him. A few days later, Gareth is trying to figure out what he can do to win her back. He's wrestled with the fact that his father meddled in his affairs, but knows he really does want Hyacinth and has to show her. However, she gets to Gareth first because she has found out in the diary who his father is. It turns out that his biological father was actually his not-father's brother. So he is a St. Clair after all, and that's why he looks so much like his now uncle. (laughs) (laughs) But in those moments together, suddenly Gareth knew, and he abandons his plans for a grand gesture for something else grand. Quote, And then suddenly he knew. Not that it didn't all matter, because it did. He knew that it didn't matter as much as she did, that the past wasn't as important as the future, and the family he'd lost wasn't nearly as dear to him as the family he would make. I love you, he said, his voice finally rising above a whisper. He turned, his heart, his very soul in his eyes. I love you. She looked confused by his sudden change in demeanor, but in the end, she just smiled, looking for all the world as if she might actually laugh. It was the sort of expression one made when one had too much happiness to keep it all inside. He wanted to make her look like that every day, every hour, every minute. I love you too, she said. And then they have encounter number two. But don't forget, we still haven't found the jewels. And luckily, that same evening... Gareth had been planning one last trip into his father's house, so they go together instead. Well, they don't find the jewels, Mm. but they do run into his father again uh, as they're leaving, this time with both of them. And Gareth decides to tell him who his real father is and does get some closure because he realizes that his father uncle doesn't actually have a hold over him anymore. And as they leave that conversation, Gareth has a very important question for Hyacinth. He asks her again if she'll marry him because, quote, As you said, I did not ask you for the right reasons. They were mostly the right reasons, but not all. I, I, she was stumbling on the words, choking on the emotion. He was staring up at her, his eyes glowing clear and blue in the dim light of the street lamps. I am asking you to marry me because I love you, he said, because I cannot imagine living my life without you. I want to see your face in the morning, and then at night, and a hundred times in between. I want to grow old with you. I want to laugh with you. And I want to sigh to my friends about how managing you are, all the while secretly knowing I am the luckiest man in town. What? She demanded. He shrugged. A man's got to keep up appearances. I'll be universally detested if everyone realizes how perfect you are. Oh. Again. How could a woman argue with that? And then we have an epilogue. So it's actually 13 years later. Gareth and Hyacinth have ascended to the barony because his uncle father died. And now they live in the London house where the jewels should be. Hyacinth has been searching since the day they moved in six years ago, but she's never found them. And then one day. Their daughter notices a crack in the nursery bathroom wall and pries her little fingers into it to see what it holds. And within, 
she finds a velvet bag full of diamond jewelry. But then her mother is calling her, so she shoves it back inside to be forgotten for a little longer. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> the end yeah uh what an ending i know that one Uh, one gets me every time (laughs) cheeky isabella so so cheeky yep i mean named after the grandmother that uh hit them in the first place jewels so i mean they're her birthright maybe all right so before we get too far into our discussions shall we adjourn to the parlor we shall Today, we want to tell you all about a new rom-com, Crushing It. Fresh and on-trend, this exciting new romantic comedy from debut author Lorelai Parker combines humor, second chances, and a good old-fashioned love triangle in a thoroughly relatable tale about a woman blossoming into her own and learning the key to love can only be found by first loving oneself. So the synopsis is, in life, as in gaming, there's a way around every obstacle. To pitch her new role-playing game at a European conference, developer Sierra Reed needs to overcome her terror of public speaking. What better practice than competing in a local bar's diary slam, regaling an audience with old journal entries about her completely humiliating college crush on the gorgeous Tristan Spencer? Until the moderator says, next up, Tristan Spencer. (laughs) I know, ouch. Sierra is mortified, but Tristan is flattered. Caught up in memories of her decade-old obsession as they reconnect, Sierra tries to dismiss her growing qualms about him, but it's not so easy to ignore her deepening friendship with Alfie, the cute, supportive bar owner. She and Alfie were college classmates, too, and little by little, Sierra is starting to wonder if she's been focusing her moves on the wrong target all along, misreading every player's motivations. Maybe the only winning strategy is to start playing by her heart. Ooh. Ah, I love it. Role-playing game. I know. Oh my gosh. I, I love D&D. Um, so like, <laughs> any, and like, I love role-playing games. So like, anyhow, I'm such a nerd. Uh, this totally, like, totally does it for me. Yes. So if you're looking for engaging, humorous, and romantic reads that accurately reflect the world around you, then look no further. And if you like Abby Jimenez, Christine Lauren, and Sally Thorne, then Lorelai's wit, her knack for complex characters, and her exploration of the intricacies of modern relationships will appeal to you. You can find Crushing It now wherever books are sold. And you should definitely check that out. I know that I'm going to be because I love this role-playing game aspect. And so I'm super interested to see how that would turn out. And who doesn't like a good old-fashioned love triangle where, like, you're like, oh, with the cute guy I've always crushed on. And then, but this bartender's so friendly and nice. And I tell him all my secret thoughts. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Seriously. Oh, my gosh. And we wanted to tell you guys that we actually were uh, guests on another Frolic podcast this Woo-hoo! month. And I don't know, as of today, I don't know the date that it's airing. Um, so I'm sorry about that. But hopefully it'll be airing soon. But we were guests on Too Stupid to Live, which is another romance novel podcast that reviews romance novels that are under $5. And we had a blast. We did. Super fun. Super good read. Super fun combo. 
Excellent. Yeah, and we actually ended up reading one of the recommendations that Jeff and Will from the Big Gay Fiction podcast recommended to us, which was a paranormal Regency uh, novella. And we just had a great time. So I hope you guys all check that out. Uh, We'll have links to it uh, when we have them. Yes. So just like Jeff and Will, if you've got a book recommendation to give to us, you can send them to us at romancepod at gmail.com and we can share them with everybody else. And if you'd like to find us on social media, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at T and Strumpets, T is in Tom and is in Nancy Strumpets, on Facebook and Pinterest slash T and Strumpets, and YouTube if you search our show name. And of course, if you want to be in the know, sign up for our email notifications on our website. Our website is romancepod.com, and you'll be the first to know what we're reading every month. You'll get author exclusive, etc., all sorts of fun stuff. So head on over there to sign up. everyone i'm katie and i'm v and we are this lesbian ship is intense we're a part of the frolic podcast network and in our podcast we cover tv shows movies and really any other form of media with lesbian characters we break down shows from a queer point of view we gush over our favorite ships and we critically analyze the impact of media on our community check us out on itunes spotify or soundcloud Kelsey, we made it to our seventh Bridgerton book. So I know that we both didn't have like the most gushing memories of this book. How did this book treat you this time around rereading it? I was totally pleasantly surprised. I didn't like, I mean, like, was it as great as I thought Francesca's was? No. But did I actually like think it was cute and light and fluffy? And I got a little bit more hyacinth essence that I felt like, which is I think what we had always talked about disliking about it was we didn't feel like we got that hyacinth essence that we got from all the other books. I think Uh I read into it a little bit more and there still was like good hyacinth in there. But she just was struggling with the fact that she was like suddenly attracted to a man who could match her with wits and it made her uncomfortable. So she wasn't, she did get tongue tied around him and was like, kicking herself for it was like what the heck but I think I read into that a little bit more this time around which made it much more enjoyable I agree I was feeling the same way like the first half of the book I felt like oh actually again light and fluffy I am enjoying this more than I remembered and I felt the same way about Hyacinth I felt like you know without going into too much I felt like um she she definitely made more sense to me this time reading it. Mm-hmm. Um, so so I liked that. Um, and Gareth is great. Um, he's I, I really enjoy him until like he and his father kind of start to interact. And I'm just like, uh, okay. I just like I you see it like coming like a train barreling at you, like, oh my god, Gareth, like your father is goading you. Like you should know this. Like you you should know that this is like Yeah. I don't know. Like, so I don't, I did not enjoy that part of the storyline. And it's like, I did enjoy that after, you know, they slept together and Hyacinth realized that that had been to trap her, you know, from, from backing out. Um, She was angry, but she was like, 
reasonable about it and then was like, we still have shit to do. I'm going to keep doing my shit. And I actually really like this guy. I already know that like I I am I am in love with him and I want to marry yeah. him. So like well, and she, she just kind of like Well, she has a moment where she she has a moment where she literally thinks to herself like, okay, but what if I hadn't slept with him? What if I could get out of this? Do I want to get out of it? Yeah. And she was like, no, the answer is not. I would still stay with him. Like, I still want to be with him. Which is, I thought I liked that. Yeah. Because it was a conscious choice. She didn't have to, she didn't feel trapped. She was just like, okay, let me think about this a little different. Let me think about this from a different perspective, which I think is just very much what we know from Hyacinth. Like, she is a thinker. She thinks things through. She's not, she can be impulsive, but she's not like, fling yourself down a well impulsive. Yes, she is not. Definitely. So let's talk a little bit more about Hyacinth, because I feel like, you know, this book is really character heavy. Yes. Um, Well, I I do want to say one more thing, though, I guess, about about my general thoughts, which is the jewel, like the jewels and the jewel... like the the needing to find the jewels, the caper, and like it just kind of seems a little bit disjointed. Like, I mean, if we don't have it, we don't have a plot. But at the same time, it just doesn't seem like. I think I don't know, it that was strong. more. You know, I think it was just it was a plot point to literally just bring the characters together, and it was something that, and I think really what it was is it was just like okay, well, she's found this diary, and she has to find something good in this diary to warrant like the interactions continuing and getting more intensive, you know? Yeah. And I for think sure. that's really what it was. So I was like, okay, well what if she's hidden something in the house? But I think the biggest thing about it is you're right. I think the jewel I think the jewels themselves were superfluous, which is why she doesn't even find them in the epilogue, you know? It was like it's yeah. there to just say there are jewels in the house, like don't worry, but that's not the point of the jewels being there. I think yeah. the biggest thing was that Hyacinth, you know, and she says to Gareth, she's like, thanks for this diary, because it's literally like the most fun I've had in years. Like, I love this. It's challenging yes. and it's just so exciting. And I just love her in general from reading her diary. So Yeah, no, I definitely and I I agree. I think the epilogue is the best part of the jewels. Like when the daughter just puts them back in the wall. Oh, it's so good. And normally I I hate that kind of stuff. But I, you know, because you don't get the resolution. But I was like, no, that was the right resolution. Hyacinth doesn't get the jewels. Yeah, (laughs) no, absolutely. No, it's great. But yes, Hyacinth. Let's talk about her. I think she's, you know what? I think the reason why it wasn't so over the top was because Hyacinth just felt like very maybe I just identified with her a little bit but like and not like she just felt like a very real person I agree and just very but in the sense that she she wasn't dramatic you know she could you know she wasn't dramatic but she had a very like strong wit and she would stop and question herself and her interactions with Lady Danbury were just the best Yes. And I love the line, too, because she gives at the end or she gives Lady Danbury a kiss and she's like, you get to me, my great. She's like, I've never done that. I've never been so familiar with her before, but you're going to be my grandmother now. And she's like, honey, I've always considered you my granddaughter. It's just making it official now. (laughs) Yeah, it's so sweet. I love it. I love all the Danbury interactions. Well, for me, I I definitely saw – I thought that – Julie or Julia Quinn wrote a really realistic character. I agree yes. because 
and I, I understood that character choice for this book a lot more this time. Mm-hmm. Um, because basically she wrote a character that uh, normally is like, you know, kind of the punchline in a lot of things and 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 made her be silent and, and tongue-tied, you know, around this this guy that she, you know, is challenged by rather than being mm-hmm. the smartest person in the room. And so and, and and then Hyacinth rises to the occasion, you know, she grows mm-hmm. and she she's able to carry on perfectly fine conversations with him. Um, and the the being challenged and being uncomfortable part, like that was some of the, my favorite part of the book was her realizing like, oh, I have been kind of running away mm-hmm. from things that are difficult. And I think that yeah. that's a really cool message to to portray. And very that relatable. Being said, <laughs> extremely relatable. That being said, I just didn't like her that much. I mm. just didn't find her that strong compared to other characters in the series. And I don't mean like that strong as a person. I mean that strong as a written character on the mm-hmm. page. Yeah, I get she that. just didn't like jump out to me. So like, so that was kind of just I, I just didn't I, I didn't feel particularly drawn to her. Makes sense. But I think that's what you and I had talked about the first time, about yeah. when we were talking about, like, what we remembered of the book. So what would you rate Hyacinth? Um, I'm still going to give her, like, a 7.5. Like, I think she's a good character. I think she has really good moments. I really like her development. I like that she's a bit more realistic. Um, mm-hmm. But like you said, there just wasn't that that kind of special spark that you kind of expected to get from her Yeah, that made her just, like... Over, like made her like super great, but I thought she was a perfectly good character. Fair. Um, for me, it it just didn't hit. It just didn't hit right, and so for me, she's a six. I mm. I just don't really like her. Um, I don't dislike her. I just I don't I don't have much excitement over her. That's okay. So that's where I ended up. That's fine. I think maybe I needed more light, fluffy romance in my life when I read this book. <laughs> hey, I mean, we we well, we all need a little bit of that. Yes. Well, let's talk about our hero, Mr. Gareth. Yes. Okay. So Gareth, I thought he started out pretty strong. As you said, his interactions with his dad were just like, ugh. But mm-hmm. also I, relatable, though. Also very relatable, you know? Like, he just, like, gets so mad in his dad's presence, and his dad just knows how to push his buttons. But just like he knows how to push his dad's buttons, yeah. you know? And there was a moment, though, where when Gareth decides he needs to compromise Hyacinth, where I was like, this is a bad plan. Yeah. Like, this is just, bad like, plan. this is a bad plan. Like, and it's kind of like Gareth knew it was a bad plan, but I think he just was, like, full-on panicky. Because he just yep. was imagining all the things his dad was going to do. And he's like, she's going to back out. And he did really want to marry her. And that was his thing. Because he had the same, both he and Hyacinth both had realization moments, like, before they actually, like, got engaged. Where they were both like, I'm yeah. going to marry this person. And as soon as yeah, Gareth so realized cute. it, he was like, he went to Anthony. And then he proposed to her that same day. Like, he didn't mess around. Like, he came nope. to the realization and made it happen. But then his father's like, you did it because of me. And I think it, like... Yeah, I didn't I didn't love that either. I mean, it made sense for the character. Like, all... like, And, and, and like you said, it, he even sort of... It, it felt coming off the page that he even sort of knew that this was a bad idea. Yeah. But he, he was just like... But the alternate would be worse, which is yes. her leaving me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
So. So. Yeah. So I liked him also about the same. I, I I loved his dialogue in the beginning of the book and through most of the book. He has great dialogue, um, especially because he some he kind of gets the witty lines sometimes mm-hmm. that tongue tie hyacinth. Yes, um, but he's also like a really nice guy. Like I oh, really liked so that nice. about him. So I feel like he would have been like an eight or a nine until we get to the like dad stuff where it just gets like a little bit like meh you know yeah. so for me for me he landed at a seven how about you that's fair he's about at the seven seven point five range for me as well yeah like I like totally. both the characters the same for me like totally nice totally good was I blown away no but did I have fun reading it and did I have fun reading them yes so well, speaking of reading, do you have a favorite quote from this book? I do. I've got so many quotes. I found this book very highlightable. That's funny. I found this book completely unhighlightable. I didn't really? highlight one thing. Yeah. Wow. Not one. I just felt like it was all kind of the same level. Um, but I do have a favorite quote still. Okay. <laughs> I went back and found it. Well, like, I liked some of the big passages where, like, I, I think the dialogue in it was really good. I did. Oh, there was I highlighted a ton of dialogue. Okay. You Hang get on. a lot of Lady Danbury. Of course it's going to be good. Oh, well, yes, that's <laughs> true. Okay. Well, you won't have to drag me. Gareth thought his head might explode. Good God, woman. Have you been listening to anything I've said? Of course I have. I have four older brothers. I can recognize a supercilious pontificating male when I see one. Oh, Hyacinth, burning <laughs> it up. Oh, those are some good things from her. So my favorite quote is actually from Gareth and Gregory. So uh. it's it's after um, Gareth has uh, decided to ask Hyacinth to marry him, or has asked Hyacinth to marry him. And it is, Gareth turned to Gregory. Your sister will be safe with me, he said. I give you my vow. Oh, I have no worries on that score, Gregory said with a bland smile. The real question is... Will you be safe with her? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Gregory. Yeah, definitely like that. And we get a little bit more Gregory this book because he and Hyacinth are closest in age. Mm -hmm. You know, they were kind of children for a lot of the other books. So you do get a little bit of a glimpse of Gregory's character, which is fun. Yes, very fun. Do you have another quote you want to share? Are you good? Um, Yes. So Gareth says, I would give the world to have one more person with... I would give the world to have one more person from whom I would lay down my life, he said. And then Hyacinth realized that some things did come in a flash. And there were some things one simply knew without possessing the ability to explain them. Because in that moment, she knew she was going to marry this man. No one else would do. I loved that little moment from both of them. He had one, too. He had a very Mm -hmm. similar moment. And it was just, it was really sweet. And, um, and yeah, I, I, I... it was really sweet. Yeah. And ba- the whole line of I would give my life to have one, I would give the world to have one more person I lay down my life for is because he's saying that um, his grandmother, Lady Danbury, is the only person whom he loves that knows loves him in return. And like, Ugh. she's basically his only family because his brother has died. And so he would just do anything to have another person to call his own, essentially. Heart wrenching. I know. All right, so steaminess rating and our encounter counter. We had two encounters. 
Yes. Perfectly respectable. Perfectly respectable. Uh, how did how would you rate the steaminess? Um, I didn't find them like crazy steamy. I found them good, just not like they weren't like wah. My tea was a little cold. I had zero butterflies. I had no mm. I just was like, this is a passage uh, just like all the others for me. Uh, like I just didn't I didn't feel the the chemistry, I guess. I mean, they they had chemistry. Don't get me wrong. They had chemistry, yes. but it just like didn't it didn't like translate into the bedroom for me for whatever reason. So no, I just that's, I didn't find it that steamy. That's fair. Like I said, I wasn't like I thought they were good scenes, but I didn't I didn't find them particularly like steamy, steamy either. Yeah. So uh, then we get to talk about our feminist recap. Um, what are your thoughts on this one? Um, I really don't know. So I would say, like, I think it's a supporter. I don't think this book is, like, you know, super blazing hot feminist. But I think that, you know, Gareth treats women in a modern way. He loves his grandmother. You know, yes. he wa- he wants a woman like Hyacinth who is smart and outspoken and can keep up you know, mentally with him. Mm -hmm. He doesn't want a simpering miss like his friends do. And he kind of talks about that a little bit or mulls it over. And so so I think it's supportive. I don't think it's like this is, you know, a book that is like moving an agenda forward in any respect. But I I think it's perfectly supportive. Okay, cool. I mean, like that makes sense because I would say it's like leading to supportive because like it does have strong female characters. It advocates strong female characters. He likes women who are strong. And um, and there's nothing against that book for against this book for any reason. Like there's no yeah. bad lines in it. So cool. Yeah. Good job, Julia Quinn. <laughs> As usual. But we're at our final book rating. So what? I know. How did we get here so quickly? <laughs> uh, what would you rate this one? Our seventh Bridgerton installment. I rate it a seven. I liked Fair. it. It was fine. It was perfectly respectable. It's not the one I'm going to say you should definitely go read and you need to read this now, but I didn't dislike it. And it wasn't a take or leave it. It's definitely a firm like for me. So, yeah. I did not like this book. Oh. I, yeah, I didn't like it. I, I, again, like I tried to like it. There is nothing bad about this book. This book just doesn't do it for me, which is why I'm not going to rate it like below take it or leave it because I don't think that this book is that quality like Mm -hmm. I think this is a perfectly quality book but just it just all of the things didn't quite line up again it was the same feeling that I read it before it just it just I didn't have that much fun reading it it wasn't a chore to read but Mm -hmm. it just it just doesn't jive with me so I give this book a six okay cool sounds good yeah it's okay we knew this we knew this wasn't going to be our favorite Bridgerton book. No, and we only have one more Bridgerton book before we do all the second epilogues oh, and perfect. before Ew. we review the show. Oh, perfect. <laughs> so, so we're not done with Bridgertons yet. No, we can never, never done but with them. But we're getting close to our first stretch. Yes. So, but we are not reading that. Reading uh, Gregory's book next. What no. are we reading next time? I don't know yet, Zoe. What are we reading? Oh, I see it in the notes. I found it, guys. <laughs> We're going to read Brazen and the Beast by Sarah McLean. Yeah, we are. Um, anyhow, um, I love this book. 
So the third book uh, in this series, uh, Daring and the Duke, has just come out. It's sitting in my Kindle waiting for me to read it. Oh, well, I've already read it, but (laughs) so now I'm ahead of you finally. (laughs) So, but uh, we're going to be reviewing Brazen and the Beast, um, which is a book that lots of people talked about last year, and I can't wait to talk about it this year. Yes, I agree. I think this is a great book for us to start off the month of August with. Yes. So if you liked what you heard here today, go ahead and tweet about the show or share it on social media or tell a friend because that's how podcasts grow and we love your support. So thank you all for listening and join us next time as we read Brazen and the Beast by Sarah McLean. And may all your ever afters end happily. Tea and Strumpets is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Hyacinth and Gareth. Hyacinth and Gareth. Gareth. I'm going to just lift through the whole thing. (laughs) Hyacinth and Gareth. That was one of the quotes in the book. It was so funny. So great. But it turns out to be fortuitous, fortuitous, for Hyath, for Hyath, for, oh my God, I can't say these <laughs> it names. It is hard. It's but so hard. But it turns hard. out to be fortuitous because Hyathan, Hyacinth, Hyacinth.